Welcome, everybody, to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Thursday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer's experience. Grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your host, Brian Weinstein, and keeping me company and keeping me real, my co-host, Caitlin Postal. Hey, Brian, what's going on? How are you today? I'm doing well. I am doing well. We are gearing up for holiday season. There's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, Caitlin, I don't know if you've heard, but the supply chain is broken. No. Impossible. Whatever do you mean? Impossible, they say. But yet here we are. And, you know, it's interesting because it is now saturating mainstream media which is why we thought it was important to make sure that our audience is hearing it from the best of the best. And so today as our special guest, we have Bill Mongaluza, the senior West Coast editor of the JOC. Welcome, Bill. Uh, thanks, Brian, and thanks, Caitlin. So I, I, I have to tell you, we've, we've gotten to a point, you know, are we beyond just blaming this on COVID, I understand there was, you know, in March, 2020 and things came to a screeching halt and then the wheels started to turn again, Uh, but it can't be 16 months of playing catch up. Can it? Well, uh, Brian, uh, COVID did not cause the supply chain problems that we have been experiencing for more than uh, one year. Now COVID exposed the deficiencies that were always there. Um, It's just that we never really realized the deficiencies in the port-related supply chain, um, except during peak season. Peak season is generally considered August through October in the Trans-Pacific, because we get, as a country, most of our imports from Asia. You know, you have congested terminals, You have vessels, um, you know, accumulating at ports. You have uh, intermodal rail overwhelmed. You have warehouses uh, packed beyond their capacity every peak season. Um, After the holiday merchandise has entered the country and has passed through the warehouses to the stores, you then have about two months, November, December, of time to catch up. They free up their assets, their chassis, et cetera. And uh, by uh, January, um, things are back to normal. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's funny because right now, I mean, it, this is not just happening in LA Long Beach, right? It's, it's happening throughout the country. However, I, I mean, a big portion of this has to rest on the LA Long Beach ports because they're the biggest port in the country. Right. I mean, so it's fair that for them to take uh, a big heap of the crap that that's being uh, dissed towards these towards the ports in the supply chain problem. Is that is that fair? Yes. Um, to put it in perspective, uh, the port complex, Los Angeles, Long Beach, handles 50 percent, half of all U.S. imports from Asia. And so the second biggest port complex is New York, New Jersey. Um, They handle about half of what 
LA Long Beach does. And then you go down the list, you know, relatively small um, um, amounts of uh, cargo compared to LA Long Beach. So yes, the surface, the problems are going to surface first in LA Long Beach. They're going to be more intense and they're going to last longer in Southern California. And, and so you mentioned it's exposed the problem and uh, you know, I'll, I'll go right to the heart of the matter and I guess ask the difficult question. This is, we're coming up on a, on a contract year for the union. Is that correct? That is correct. 2022. And, yep. And, and so it's been a long history of every time it's a contract year, there are, there are seemingly these issues arise, slowdowns, whatever. Is that, is that a contributing factor to this now? No, absolutely not. I mean, it's okay. certainly uh, on the minds of every importer, every major retailer, uh, but the current contract will expire on July 1st, 2022. The negotiations for that contract between the ILWU and the employers represented by the Pacific Maritime Association probably will not even kick in until May. I mean, that's how it's been in every contract year since I've been covering the industry. But as far as actually having any direct or even indirect impact on uh, what is happening, no, absolutely not. So, so is that, is this because of consumer demand? I mean, is there that much more demand for product now than there's ever been that that's put us in this position? Yes. And uh, let me answer that uh, at two levels. One, just at the, the macro number level, uh, we have analyzed that the journal of commerce, my colleagues have analyzed our peers numbers going back five years mm -hmm. and the monthly volume of imports is now 20% higher than the similar months uh, 219 and earlier than that, you know, 2020 is, was just a, a weird year. So, uh, if you compare uh, August of this year with August of 2019, about 20% higher. You can do that with every month uh, this year. So what that means is the base of volume that we are importing as a nation now is about 20% higher than it was pre-COVID. Now, I'll, but I'll put the, uh, a, a second uh, explanation on that. Why is that? It is because of e-commerce, online shopping, and the logistics uh, involved in e-commerce, as you well know, is based on constant replenishment. So when consumers go to the store, you know, whatever, their local target, and they look for whatever they need for their daily lives, and there is a huge gap in the shelf, they don't like that. Retailers know that. So they are constantly ordering replenishment of their basic consumer goods. Um, and it, it's coming in, you know, much more rapidly, much more consistently and, you know, in, in smaller volumes, uh, but uh, spread out uh, over the, uh, you know, the entire year, as opposed to the traditional, you know, peaks and valleys of the uh um, brick and mortar based, uh, economy that we've been used to. Yeah. You said something to me 
uh, and a call that we had earlier in the week that was a little bit alarming, right? So I, I actually had a different perspective and was thinking through differently. And that was about inventory. And, you know, I, I'm, I've been involved in economies where we were over inventoried and we had more inventory on hand than we needed. The economy slowed down. And then a lot of our customers were stuck with inventory and they were trying to dump it. And it was just a bad, bad uh, uh, convergence of situations. I, I'm when, when I mentioned that to you the other day, are we sitting in a position right now? Cause warehouse spaces is, is very difficult to come by. Everybody's warehouses are full. You can't find more capacity around. It would scream to me that we have more inventory on hand that we know what to do with. But yeah, you had mentioned something about inventory to sales ratios. Correct. Yes. Okay. What is happening is that the normally the retail, I'm just focusing on the retail, is normally about 1.4 or 1.5 to 1. Uh, you know, the uh, inventory uh, versus the sales. It got earlier this year as low as 1.08. Now it's up uh, over 1.11, but that's still, you know, much lower than the 1.4, 1.5 that it should be. And the reason for that is one, the increased purchases, you know, by the consumers, but um, the retailers have been shipping their holiday merchandise much sooner than much earlier than they used to. I mean, it started coming in in the summer. So, you know, that inventory that the Christmas um, merchandise came in, went right to the warehouses um, in you know, June, July, August, because the retailers knew that the supply chain was very tight and they had to ship early if they wanted their products to be sold on Black Friday and not on, um, you know, Valentine's Day next year. So um, you have uh, you had early shipping, fast forwarding of holiday merchandise mixed in with the Halloween stuff and, uh, you know, back to school and all of that. Um, and then what happened is um, by about, uh, I would say, uh, August, September, the retailers had to stop, you know, put almost a hard stop on their replenishment of normal um, merchandise in order to, to handle the continued flow of the holiday merchandise, which is now being um, supplemented by spring merchandise because the home improvement stores, uh, you know, the home, the Lowe's, Home Depot's, whatever, they, their peak season is in the spring. So they have to have on their store shelves, their spring merchandise, um, you know, by whatever, by um, end of February, March. Uh, but, um, they they also are concerned that uh, they're they're going to um, be uh, hit this you know by an early uh, Chinese New Year this coming year February first which is two to three weeks earlier than usual when factories shut down in China and, and other places in Asia so you you have fast forward into the spring merchandise now that's contributing to the. Um, congested warehouses. So it's, it's just a, a continuous uh, um, flood of merchandise. 
So you have right now, well, how many vessels are out or are, are sitting out off of the uh, outside of the ports? Uh, yesterday, the um, Marine Exchange of Southern California, they come out every day with their Anchorage report. Uh, it's back up to seven. There were 70 vessels wow. at anchor. I think it was 26 to 28 at birth, you know, on top of that. So you have close to 100 vessels, uh, container ships, just container ships in port right now in LA Long Beach. Like I say, um, 70 of those were stuck at anchor. It's getting near the peak. Um, the peak was in mid-September at 73. So it's, it's, it's edging, it's going very rapidly back up. And just, you know, to put this in, con in context, pre-COVID, uh, vessels did not go to anchor. <laughs> right. They did. It was maybe overnight waiting for a berth to open the next morning, but the vast majority of vessels would, you know, they would come arrive on time. They would go directly to berth. So when you have 70 at anchor, that uh, tells you the magnitude of the congestion that our ports face. Yeah. Now, Bill, I know there was mentioned last week of moving the port of L.A. to a 24-7 operation. What are your thoughts on that? Is that what it's going to take to, to clear this up? Has it ever been done before? OK. Uh, Is it feasible? Uh, yeah. No. To answer all your <laughs> Bam, bam, uh, okay. bam. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very good. No, no. Those, those questions are spot on. I just did a story on that, which appeared yesterday. Um, you have... Uh, this uh, discussion going on uh, at two levels. Um, you know, the Biden administration knows that we have a severe supply chain problem, especially in LA Long Beach. So he went right to the belly of the beast and they um, publicly bought in to uh, the 24 seven concept. Um, so, uh, and, you know, they, they were very careful in their wording, but the bottom line is this is aspirational. I followed up Monday with interviews with the actual terminal operators. There are 12 terminal operators in L.A. Long Beach. And they, you know, on the record, the ones I spoke to said, you know, one uh, in order to operate 24-7, it would result in huge costs. You know, it would like quadruple the cost of the terminal operator. If Walmart wants to pay us to open up the night shift, which is 3 a.m. to 8 a.m., and pay us to cover our, uh, our additional costs, we'll be glad to do that. Right. But secondly, it's not really necessary um i don't know if it'll ever be necessary to have a 24 7 operation so without boring you the the existing work shifts at the harbor are the day shift 8 a.m to 5 p.m the night shift and only la long beach in the country uh, uh has regular night shifts 6 p.m to 3 a.m and then they have what they call the hoot the hoot owl shift from 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. That's extremely costly. It's uh, overtime pay per hour. It's paying workers to work eight hours at overtime wages for five hours of work. However, there's a built-in safety mechanism. Uh, by the contract, 
the terminal operators are able to flex each of their gates, the morning and the evening gate by one hour. So, and the terminals have been doing this for forever, uh, um, you know, in LA Long Beach. You know, they run from 7 a.m. to 3 a.m. the next morning because in effect, they run the day and night gates um, consecutively and they start each one early. That's 20 hours. In reality, what has happened, and then I'll end this discussion, the truckers show up, you know, in droves from 7 a.m. to about 10 p.m., which is the lunch break for the night shift. And then from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., you may have like a dozen trucks calling at that time. So do you see what I'm saying? So these retailers and truckers are not making use of the hours that are already there. Got it. Yeah. And then I guess it's not just costly on that, on the longshoreman side, but then of course there's truckers and then warehousing, right? Who's receiving product at at a warehouse at 3 a.m.? Very few, very few, very few warehouses. Secondly, the drivers, you know, are limited by uh, hours of service limitation. Right. Good point. Right comply to. So a driver cannot drive from 7 a.m. to 3 a.m. the next morning. Secondly, they'll, um, you know, they'll receive a big fine. So, and the next number of uh, drivers in the harbor and that's it. I mean, you can't create more truck drivers and trucks. Well, that's, yeah. And and that, this has been, that's been something that's been uh, uh, going downhill for years they have not been replenishing the, the the trucking industry with drivers uh, at a rapid enough pace for a long time. You know, it, it it it's interesting. You can't get your CDL in the U.S. until I think you're 21 or 22. Yeah, at least that. It may be even a little uh, right. But you're so, right. you can't get it at 18. That's right. So you can't get it. So now you have someone who graduates high school wants to go into a trade. Right? Are they going to wait around till they're eligible? to get their CDL or at some point, are they going to move on and go find another trade that they can go into immediately out of high school? So now you've got a whole block of people who could be the training ground for the drivers. And, and, and we don't, we don't use it. Right. And the way you're, you're absolutely right. The way uh, it works, I think is uh, these uh, drivers, uh, young kids, they'll work in the warehouse from right. uh, at 18 you know, upon high school graduation until they can get their CDL, you know, but you know, they, they probably allow them to drop out uh, of that too. So, right. And find something else that they can yeah, get into. Exactly. So you're right. And the existing drivers, you know, are getting older. Um, one, you know, some of them are, are, a lot of them are doing rather well. They're not going to work 12 hours a day, you know, right. and, you know, they don't need to. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you, you have a truck, sh- truck driver shortage problem, both in the drain sector and in the over the road sector. I, I haven't seen the latest numbers from the American Trucking Association, but it, the, the deficit is tens of thousands countrywide. Right. Right. So, so let's go back to the vessels for a second. I, I mean, do you know approximately, you know, you said there's 28 in birth, there's, there's about 70 anchored. Do you know what that represents in, in, in I'll say TEUs, but for, for, for those of you listening that don't know what a TEU is, it's a container. Uh, it's a 20 foot equivalent. Do you know, do, do you know what that represents in terms of TEUs? Um, it, it's uh, hundreds of thousands of TEUs. And uh, okay. if, if, uh, so the port complex of LA Long Beach has been handling 
close to 800,000 uh, TEUs of imports each month now. Each month. Okay. probably been at least 100,000 TEUs sitting on vessels in the harbor month after month. So what was supposed to come in uh, and be processed at the docks in August maybe didn't come in until late September. So do you see what I'm saying? So yeah, so there's there are, what the numbers, although they sound and they are huge, they don't tell you the full story of how much cargo is coming in and will continue to come in. Yeah, I, just to kind of give a little perspective, Bill, and I, I know this is probably just an estimate on your part, but if if not a, not a single other vessel made its way over to LA Long Beach, how long would it take them to get caught up with what they currently have in berth and at anchor? Okay, well, I'll focus on LA Long Beach because it is unique. Uh, yeah. 80% the, in the what they call the Pacific Southwest Service, the vessels, uh, they leave the last Asia port call. They come into LA Long Beach. They discharge and reload at, at least 80% of the content. Some vessels come in and do 100% discharge and reload. And then, you know, the, the ones that are doing 80% move up to Oakland. They finish with the work there. They head back to Asia. So given those volumes, it takes your average vessel uh, when conditions are right, you know, when the uh, terminals are fluid, it takes your average vessel three to four days to be worked, these large vessels. Yep. So um, uh, that, that gives you uh, what um, it should be. Okay, but now in the current environment, that same vessel uh, that would be cleared, you know, completely uh, worked in three or four days could be there easily seven days because the terminals are so full that if the terminal operator put a full uh, complement of longshore gangs against the bed, and then, don't forget, you can here you could run five, six, seven cranes or more per vessel. Mm -hmm. if the uh, terminal is fluid. But if you discharge that many inbound containers from the vessel, there would be zero space to put them because the terminal is so chock-a-block. The terminals here are operating as close to 100% capacity as you can get. Yes, incredible. And I know that our, our transportation group is saying that they've, they can't go in to pick up a container without a chassis. Correct. Uh, we have our own chassis and we can't, but we can't go in with empties because they have no room for the empties. So therefore Correct. it's just, it's really, it's so bottlenecked. I mean, you know, we have the chassis, but we have a container, an empty container that the port can't take. And then, you know, so it's just this, it's, it's this complete bottleneck that we can't seem to get away from. And so like, I, what fixes this? Like, how are we get, if this demand continues to stay the way it is and, and look, we have customers bill that are, that are now, um, they were LA long beach, but a lot of them were also, you know, doing stuff into Seattle, Tacoma. They're, they're chartering their own vessels now and going to little obscure ports just to get them offloaded and get and continue the product coming in, which mm -hmm. is a great idea. Obviously you have to have deep pockets to be able to get away with it, but like what's going to get us out of this? Um, 
Uh, personally, I don't see anything getting us out of this at least through 2022, maybe wow. longer. Um, and, and it's just not me talking. Uh, uh, the, the, the experts that you talk to, the uh, NBOs, the, uh, the carrier executives, uh, et cetera, the brokers, they give the range now that the experts are talking about is anywhere from Chinese New Year, February 1st, 2022, to the whole range would be from Chinese New Year 2022 to Chinese New Year 2023. Um, most of the experts are somewhere in between there. They're thinking that possibly uh, by mid-2022, um, you know, before the um, holiday merchandise next year comes in, so like June, maybe June, July, course they were saying the exact same thing this year every asset provider in the supply chain the um uh terminal operator the trucker the railroad they are all starved for assets and you mentioned chassis chassis are probably the most vital um component of that supply chain because you need a chassis to dray a container to a warehouse and then to drain the empty from the warehouse back to the marine terminal. However, the chassis um, we had, without going into significant detail, uh, first we had the Trump administration, um, uh, you know, tariffs on uh, imports from China, uh, including chassis, twenty-five percent. But really, the the and the largest, by far, the largest manufacturer of chassis in the world is in China. The real dagger in the heart was a um, trade complaint filed by the domestic chassis producers. There are about a half a dozen of those saying that, you know, these chassis from that company in China were being uh, dumped in the U.S. And it, it, it's the uh, and they got a favorable ruling from the uh, International Trade Commission. It literally doubled the price of each chassis. Right. So, uh, so you know, until that situation is resolved and we can get chassis um, acquisition back to the way it used to be, that one vital link, the most vital link in the supply chain, the overland supply chain, is is going to grow incrementally. Right. In the coming year. Yeah. Yeah. I I was really hoping when we when we when I mentioned getting this resolved that that Chinese New Year would at least have the impact of a significantly diminished volume inbound, which would give us some time to clean up what's, what's already here, get some of those, get some of those empties back over to Asia to clear out the port somewhat and give us some relief. I mean, I, funny, I had a, a client out of Australia complaining. He said, Hey, can you guys send over some empties? Cause we can't get any product cause the U S has all the empties. So like in this, this whole, this whole poll, like I, I, you know, I, I had hoped you were going to say Chinese new year will really help, uh, bring this problem, you know, at least significantly reduce where we are now. Then e even if it did for argument's sake, does, does that take us away from the long-term problem of no. supp the supply and the demand here? No, and I'll answer your question, Brian. Uh, but first, I want to give you a real life, some real life numbers uh, from uh, Lunar New Year experience uh, this this year. Um, in February this year, the 
volume in LA Long Beach uh, dropped uh, to 693,000 TEUs. The very next month, March, the volume was 852,000 TEUs. Um, you know, you're talking 150,000 increase in one month. And then it, it stayed around 800,000 TEUs through today. So, uh, so to answer your question, um, there will be some temporary relief, but given the volumes, it will be, you know, so small that it will not have a long lasting impact on this problem of, um, of, uh, you know, having enough capacity. And what, um, to answer your longer term question, what is going to be needed is to one, physically increase the um, uh, capacity of the ports. And once again, you know, this problem we're discussing is, is great in LA Long Beach, but it exists in Oakland, Seattle, Tacoma, Savannah, uh, New York, New Jersey, et cetera. In order to build a new marine terminal, you, if you can find the space, you know, you're talking minimum five years. Um, uh, now, what um, is going to happen uh, next month, just one terminal, Long Beach Container Terminal, fully automated, it has pretty much finished its phase three expansion, and it will um, become fully operational by the end of November. That will add to that terminal 1 million TEUs capacity you know, per year. But you're not going to get that type of a, 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 a huge increase at any other terminal in LA Long Beach. So, you know, you got to start at the marine terminal level. Since it's going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to physically build more terminals, what you have to do is densify the terminals that you're stuck with. And the only way to densify the terminals is to automate them. Now, granted, there are issues with the uh, Longshore Union. Uh, I could do a whole podcast just on that. Um, they're not as daunting as one might think, but but uh, regardless, to densify, and it is uh, there is uh, the largest uh, terminal in Long Beach, Total Terminals International, that's where Mediterranean shipping falls. They announced this year that they are going to replicate the Long Beach Container Terminal, uh, what they did, uh, and they are going to fully automate their uh, terminal, which will, when it's done, double the capacity of that terminal. Mm -hmm. When you do that, especially at an existing operation like TTI, which is already bursting at the seams, you're going to have to do one chunk of it at a time. So you're going to have to take minimum 100 acres out of um, production for probably two years while you do everything that's involved in automating that. Then you open that part and then you move, you know, to the next 100 acres and, and then you move to the next. So you've got a 300 and something acre terminal to do that. And they will do it. I mean, LBC did it. It's going to take minimum five, six years. Yeah, I well, I mean, look, it, um, necessity is the mother of invention, 
uh, there's got to be something else going on that, that something else that's going to crop up. I don't know if there's, if they become microports that pop up around the country. Um, no. If you don't think so. No, the reason being that uh, uh, you need infrastructure. So the reason um, a lot of these small ports are small and always will be small is that they don't have, for example, the rail infrastructure that you need, uh, which you're not building any more rail lines these days. Uh, the you know, or they are located such that there is no need for a container port there. So, for example. Um, Philadelphia. Okay. Philadelphia handles a lot of meat products and whatever. It's, you know, they're never going to challenge New York, New Jersey, uh, as far as being a container load center. So you can't, you know, put um, all the type of activity that you have. The major gateways are set. You know, I mean, there are like four on the East Coast and three on the West Coast. Those will always be the major load centers. Um, these other small ports serve a vital fact, uh, a, a, a vital function in handling niche products. Port Wainimi, for example, you know, with fruit and uh, mm -hmm. mobiles, etc. But no, we're not going to do it that way. It's going to take you. You have the the cards have already been dealt. You have to densify the operations, and then secondly, there. Um, what is happening now? is uh, the, uh, the terminals are draining off containers, inbound containers. As soon as they come off of the vessel, they are draining them to near dock sites. Now, SSA Marine in Long Beach has three terminals. It's been doing that for more than 10 years. And they gobbled up the space that's available in Southern California to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, because within an easy drive of the port, uh, but there are other small plots of ground, like, you know, 50 acres here, 60 acres there that are being developed. PRS in Long Beach, uh, there are a couple of locations in Seattle, Tacoma, where they're doing those types of drayoffs. Once again, incremental, um, you know, growth well, is allowed by that. Uh, um, and you could actually um, remove the containers from the chassis at those uh those surge yards and um, and free up the chassis as long as you have you know lift equipment there. So that is happening, but it, it's all nibbling around the edges. Understood, understood. Yeah, I just you know, I, so it sounds like in order to get, we're we're going to continue to go through pain, and the pain might get worse at, at ports that elect to that elect to automate, right? So you can't, mm -hmm. you know, you can't rebuild the plane while it's flying. So there's going to be some degree of downtime. Um, and so we're going to have more pain before this gets better. Absolutely. And don't forget now, just looking at vessel capacity, um, the uh, one of the results of COVID was that shipping lines stopped ordering vessels, you know, or significantly reduce. So all of a sudden, uh, late last year, they, uh, when the volumes really exploded, they put in orders at shipyards uh, around the world, but mostly in uh, Asia for large new vessels. Um, so those vessels that are on order right now will begin to deliver in very late 2022 and there will be a huge rush of new capacity 
globally, but a lot of that will end up in the Trans-Pacific in 2023 and 2024. So what you're going to have is um, a vest like, let's say, a string of 10,000 TEU vessels that calls in LA Long Beach now will be replaced in 2023 with a, an 1,800 uh, 18,000 TEU ship. So one, you're going to get larger ships coming in, which you know take longer at birth. Secondly, you're going to get a lot more of them. So I really, we should look at 2022 as a catch-up year, as a blessing, because things can get really, really bad beginning in 2023. Yep. Yeah, I... <laughs> Well, listen, I had really kind of hoped to come out of this feeling somewhat rosier. <laughs> I spoiled your day. I, I admit it. But then again, I did tell the truth. So now if, if any of your listeners comes up with a better solution than I have, I want to hear about it. Right. No, for sure. For sure. You know, I, again, the truth cell set you, set you free. I don't know if it really set me free. Uh, and it certainly didn't improve my mood when it came to discussing imports, but we do appreciate the, the candor. And honestly, Bill, we have to face the truth and the reality that we have now. Um, you, you know, hopefully the demand stays as strong as it has been because, you know, from, from an economy standpoint, you've got people looking to buy product, right? So that's, that's always where consumer economy. Um, so it's important that that continues, um, and that all the rising costs don't put a damper on that. But for right now, we seem like we're, you know, in that regard, the, the, the train is chugging forward. Um, it's just now, what are we going to do to get caught up here on the import side? And you mentioned cost, Brian. Um, yeah, the, the volumes are going to continue to grow. I, uh, uh, unless we enter a great recession, we're not going to see the imports fall off the table by any right. means. They increase at you know, 10% uh, month over month every year. But uh, the, the volumes will remain strong. Um, however, uh, I, I think what is happening now is the asset owners where they can are ordering more rail cars are trying to get more chassis. So once you remove, or at least mitigate these, um, asset deficits throughout the supply chain that will help. And, and everything has a knock on effect. So if you get uh, more chassis, then that's going to improve the ability of the truckers to move the containers, you know, to the warehouse. And then, you know, the, uh, terminals will be less congested. So every knock on effect that has been bad could turn into a knock on effect that is good as the asset owners bring more assets into the supply chain to accommodate the cargo volumes they know are going to happen. And I really think that cost is going to be completely secondary. Um, and, you know, I can say that really quickly with a real life example uh, forever. It, the spot rate for shipping a 40-foot container from Shanghai to L.A. varied between 1500 and 2000 depending on the time of year. 1500 to 2000 that was it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, the listed rates are easily $12,000. Um, some uh, of these indexes have them as high as 15000 and yet 
the uh, retailers and importers are so desperate that they will pay on top of that another couple thousand to ensure that their uh, booking, that that container actually gets on the vessel. So, you know, cost is almost not a part of the discussion now. It's all about capacity. No, true. I, I think that leads to a larger economic discussion about how that impacts and eventually that comes out in the form of inflation. Correct. And, and, and what's going to happen there. Now, people are making more money so they can afford to maybe absorb a little bit of a higher cost. But at what point does that stop? Exactly. It's and interesting. How much you know, we- of that can the retailer absorb? And how much do they have to pass on? And who is really getting hurt in this scenario are the smaller um, companies, the small yes. importers. They, they yep. can't yep. afford, they don't have deep enough pockets to absorb these immediate increases. No, and nor do they really have the power to push it back to the retailer who then has to make the decision. Are they going to absorb some of it or, yeah. or are they going to pass it on to the, to the consumer? I think in some cases, the end consumer can afford more again, because I think you know, our, our jobless rate is very low right now. Um, and, and there's more people working at a higher wage than before. So there's a lot that's there. It's very complex. Um, and probably a topic for, for a different podcast, a different time, but yeah, I, there's, there's a lot going on and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out over the next, uh, you know, it sounds like most likely nine to 18 months. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that is a fair, um, you know, estimate. Excellent. All right, well, Bill, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's Bill Mangeluzzo. Um, Bill is with the, he's the senior editor of the West Coast Journal of Commerce. Uh, tons of experience, been doing this for a very long time. I could probably talk for hours on this and get more into the complexities about the ports and the chassis and the, and everything else. But uh, I think we've, we've covered enough for today. So appreciate your time. Thank, thank you very much, Brian and Caitlin. Appreciate it. All right, Caitlin, you want to take us out? Sure. Thank you, Bill. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Check us out every other Thursday at sippinandshipping.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Take care.